Hi guys, my name is Sumishi Adeshino and you're welcome to the Truth of the Matter show. And this is going to be the first episode of the show and I'm very, very delighted to be your host. And just before I go into the details of uh, today's show, uh, my guest and what we're going to be talking about, I want to take our time to thank everyone who who have listened to the trailer to my podcast, those who liked, those who shared comments, and those who did a very good job in pointing out some of the inadequacies in the speech that I rendered. Uh, so yes, uh, today I have with me a very good friend of mine, a colleague. His name is Manuel Chukudi. Manuel Chukudi is a graduate of uh, the University of Lagos, uh, where he studied biochemistry before he proceeded to Cyprus uh, for his master's in science communication at the University of Nicosia. And uh, Manuel and I will be talking about the relationship that exists between science communication and um, and public health. So how has how can uh, the communication of scientific knowledge how does it affect public health concerns so uh, there's a lot of details packed into this episode we talked about um, the media's handling of uh, COVID-19 we talked about um, with comparison to other diseases we talked about uh, generally the state of Nigeria's health sector our hospitals our health facilities and we also try to uh, come up with solutions workable solutions to uh, some of the health crises that the devil's horse in this part of the world so it's an interesting episode it's informative it's educative and it's also entertaining all right so that said let's get right into the show and see you on the other side all right now ladies and gentlemen you're welcome to the truth of the matter show once again my name is Tumishe Adeshino and I'm very happy to be hosting my very first episode with my very good friend Manuel Chukudi so without um, you know preempting his introduction, I will just delve right into the into the show. So Mano, you're welcome. Thank you, Tomishe. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for your opportunity. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I was just um, in preparation for this interview. I was uh, going through my Twitter feed trying to find out when you and i you know we met and i realized that it's already it's two years ago now and i've been wondering thinking to myself how on earth have we been able to like sustain that you know friendship if you will quote and unquote for two years and it just occurred to me that i think aside from the fact that we've worked together on you know some projects i think it's also the fact that we've always had something to you know talk about there's always something we, we we want to argue about. There's something there's always something we want to discuss. And that has sort of like kept us, you know, always talking and kept us together for the past two years. So um, which is perhaps one of the reasons why I've decided to have you first on the show. So once again I wanna thank you for, you know, doing this for me and um, you know, sacrificing your time because I understand that you're busy. We've postponed this over and over and over again. So thank you once again for coming on the show. All right, so we're going to delve right into. Well, yeah, I think yeah. It, it's, okay, well, go, on, go on, please. Go on. It's been the worst two years of my life. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure, I can. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's been the worst two years of my life. I should have blocked you by now. So. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm joking. Yeah, but it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. 
yeah, that's about all the compliments you can give. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright, so um, without wasting much time, we're just going to delve right into the conversation. So I understand that you are um, you are you have a cap with many feathers. I don't know if there's a better way to put that. I mean, you are you had you do different kind of things and which i'm aware of but for the sake of this conversation we're going to limit ourselves to your professional academic career quote unquote which is you being um, a science communicator and you know when you talk about science communication even to the layman it's it's um it can mean different things because science it's it's multidisciplinary and it's also multifaceted so um how would you let me start by asking the question how would you um define or not to sound theoretical how would you describe the discipline of science communication especially with regards to public health public health how would you describe it well i think i would sort of take a step back to sort of begin with how i approach things um yeah, in my similar story that I, I have a lot of things that I do in a sense, but um, each and every one of them are linked together by one common thing that's in a sense my Christian faith. And so even uh, my my sojourn into science communication is based on the fact that Christian and uh, that sort of informs a lot of things I do and how I approach um, things. Um, I have a background in biochemistry, and uh, back then in school, I did experience of you know a lecturer, a professor who was uh, an atheist, I believe he still is, and he eventually became my project supervisor. And occasionally, in dialogue and conversations with him, he always had something to say about God, and you know, ninety percent of the time, one hundred percent, it was negative. And sort of that drew me into the whole, into the field of theology, you know, philosophy and all that. And I began to encounter people who would you know, argue that science sort of disproves the existence of God. So that's sort of what led me down the path of um, science communication. And so it's not really um, when you define science communication, it's basically bridging the gap between, you know, the experts and the public. Sense, uh, but personally, why I'm in it is, or why I got into it first is, you know, trying to see, okay, this field of science is it that it truly disproves God? Uh, but in my experience and my studies, it's not, it's not the case. Uh, but as I said, science communication is primarily, you know, bridging that gap between the experts and the public. But there's also an aspect of it where it's more, you know, an interdisciplinary communication where the experts are, you know. Yeah, f- thank you for that response, and I think it's it's really a, it's an interesting you know um, 
it's an interesting response you've brought up you know the fact that different kinds of things can make us venture into a particular a particular field and i like i said i mean i've said this times without number to you that i find it interesting i mean what led you into the field of science communication and we can go we can actually create an entire episode talking about your uh, theological um your theological research in terms of whether or not science disproves the existence of god and all of that but that's not that wouldn't be the focus of our of our discussion today oh, sure, sure. yeah so Definitely. yeah yeah so um, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to yeah. <laughs> I understand I understand so um so talk to me about the relationship between mass communication and public health generally just on the face of it what is the relationship between mass communication and public health well as I said um, the goal is always to sort of bridge that gap between the public and you know the experts as it were and mass communication you know is a field of communication and it's basically you know speaking to the masses and that's what, what science communicators now do is i mean take for instance the, the case of, of the covid you you had um, you had a pandemic or a disease a virus that was spreading in a sense, it was new, it was novel, and most people didn't know about it. Now, how would the public know anything about it if mm-hmm. the experts are just speaking to themselves? Yeah. And so you actually needed people, and the, I mean, the danger then is when you have a lot of voices, and in a sense, the sound contradictory, because people are coming to this from, you know, different points of views. And I mean, and we, we, it, it seems it seems we had a lot of that j- during the COVID COVID pandemic, like contradictory views, even from the experts. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. It was, in a sense, I wouldn't really call it contradictory, as much as it was people who didn't sort of want to listen to themselves and dialogue. That's why I said you know, there are two aspects of it: you have speaking to the public, and you have experts who are. Um, within the field who are also communicating to each other and you know critiquing each other and when you silence that when that is sort of blocked mm-hmm. because of you know various reasons um some can be political uh, and so you have you had in the case of covid especially in the west you had um, you could you could see how people approached this based on their political limits people on the right on the left um, some, um, most of them on the right would say, you know, we don't want to wear masks, it's, you know, stopping our freedom. And people on the left would say, hey, you're being crazy, you're not listening to the experts. But there were really some experts who would say, you know, based on certain studies, we don't think that the, the, the masks, especially some specific masks, were useful or would in any way curtail the spread of the virus. But because somehow it, become, it became so entangled in politics, um, People were not really speaking to themselves, they were not listening, and so it became more, you know, a battle as it became a war, and that really did a lot of, of damage, especially to the public. People didn't know who to listen to, people didn't know who to trust, and so you had a, the rise of, you know, conspiracy theories and all that and all that. I have my own personal opinion about it, but the thing is, that personal opinion might be wrong. That's why you really need people to listen, and, you know critique one another, but when that is not happening in society, then 
the public would, would suffer. Yeah, um, thank you for that response. But you, you, you did mention that um, you raised an issue about, you know, public um, debate and dialogue in terms of um, even when we're talking about when we're communicating the awareness, we try, when we're trying to communicate the awareness of a particular, you know, disease or public health concern. And I was just thinking, don't you, don't you, don't you think that um, in terms of scientific information now, don't you think that there should, there should at least be less debate lesser debate um, about what is what it is about I mean take COVID for example one would expect that there would be less debate about uh, what, how, to con- how to contain the virus how to prevent yourself from from you know con- uh, from contracting the virus than you know ev- every any other kinds of issues say moral issues philosophical issues those things that engender that intrinsically inherently they engender debate so why, why, why would why why do you think that uh, we see that um, the contentious views about scientific information, especially you know, talk about COVID. Let's talk. Let's, let's use um, the COVID as a context now. Why do you think we had such contentious opinions about how to prevent yourself? Some people are saying the mask works. Some people said the mask doesn't work. Some people said hydroxychloroquine is the is um, is cures COVID in a sense, but some people said it's not. You have to get the vaccine. Why do you think we had such such contentious um, uh, battle of opinion in that sense? I mean, there's a lot there, but first, um, I would just want to know why would you think that, you know, less debate would have been helpful? Yeah, I, I mean, scientific information, they, they, are, they are like... Um, you know, saying two plus two is four, right? Because it's just it's it's supposed yeah, to be factual, right? That, that's two plus two is not. Um, I mean, it's not. In a sense, under natural science, as it were, it's not under bio, biological chemistry. That's mathematics, and that's you know. That's not something going going to into the lab to test. That's that's even an, it's part of the scientific assumptions that two plus two is four. So it's not. Okay, that that's interesting, but I I I get I get the point you're trying to make, but even the, there there are some scientific there are, you know most scientific discoveries they are they are considered as final and um, think about it say I'm trying to come up with something um, that's something that is inherently biological, right? Um, I, mean, I mean I I can help you. Um, not it's not biological. It's more physics and all that. I, I don't think scientific. Um, I mean, there are some things that you could say as sessions, but there are some that are still up for debate. And I mean, basically, science, science is, in a sense, it's always changing um, because it's, we're studying the world. We're not, we're, we're not um, omniscient. We don't know all things. Mm-hmm. We're studying it based on the facts that we have. And so that's why it's always changing. I mean, there was a point where science, some scientists thought the universe was eternal uh, until, you know, they would argue that at the point of the Big Bang, you know, discovered that, you know, the, the universe actually had the beginning. So before that point, some scientists were arguing that the universe didn't have a beginning. Mm. Now, they all believe that the universe, you know, had a beginning. So that was because, you know, new facts came came out. So that's why scientists have to always, have to be open always. And that is why science flourishes best where there is a 
debate when you are not silencing some voices. You're not saying, you know, because we disagree with you, we're not going to allow you to speak. Okay. Yeah. Because silence only progresses when you're listening to all voices. You know, you are testing it. Of course, in a sense, when you test, you discover that, oh, there are some that are very wrong. You discard them. You move on. But if you are rejecting them a priority even before testing them, then Okay, okay. I think I, I, I understand I understand your point, but but just to bring it home, to narrow it down to the Nigerian context now, um, in your view, how would you how would you access the media's handling of the COVID pandemic in Nigeria? Especially when you compare it with other, you know, say diseases that um, that has perennial diseases that have, that have always been that has always bedeviled, you know this part of the world say malaria because when i was preparing for this interview i i did some research and then i realized that um the fatality rate of covid in 2020 was um was 3000 3144 people died of covid in nigeria and we had about 259000 cases and then when you compare that to to say malaria malaria kills over 300000 people in Nigeria a year and it afflicts over 100 million people I mean I contracted malaria two weeks ago so how, how would you how would you access um, the media's handling of um, of um, you know in terms of communicating about COVID and compare that to other you know say other benign as if you will benign um, benign diseases, say malaria, HIV, or, or what have you? How would you compare that? I think one, one factor that we have not really considered when it comes to the media and all that is the advent of you know, social media. And so, uh, while we're talking about the media now, we're not just talking about you know, traditional space of radio, um, TV, um, newspapers, and all that. Um, so if, if we're if we're asking then we, we sort of have to divide it in a sense. Okay, are we talking about Yeah, I, I, I would I, I would have us narrow it down to uh, traditional media. Like the T V well, the, the radio. That, that, um, that wouldn't be impossible, but that would be difficult in the sense that even these traditional media outlets are also making use of social media. Mm, that's so, interesting. You, know, you cannot, you cannot really separate. I'm just bringing that in for us not to sort of neglect that. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I understand. But my, my point actually is that it appears that there were there was um, we saw a massive, um, how do I put this, a massive awareness about COVID even from the traditional media. We're not even talking about the social media hysteria of people just you know coming up with different diagnoses and solutions to to fighting COVID, even from the traditional media, from the approved information from the NCDC in Nigeria, it was massive. I mean, prior to COVID, prior to COVID, I, I don't have a fact for this, but I am I, willing to bet that perhaps 50% of Nigerians didn't know that there was the NCDC. 
that there was such a thing as the NCTC. We've, I don't think we've ever met the, anyone has ever seen the director of the director general of NCDC on TV. COVID got COVID got the the largest amount of say publicity than any other. I guess that's because it's a pandemic than any other diseases in my lifetime. So I'm I'm trying to figure out and considering the fact that it had less fatality rate. I mean, 3,144 compared to 300,000 for, for malaria. 300,000 for malaria. That's the, the difference is massive. So I'm, I'm asking the question, what would you, in your, in your assessment, how would you, what would you think is responsible for the disproportionate um, media attention that these two uh, major, should I say major, these two um, diseases has gotten as as gathered from the media. How why would you why, why what would you say is responsible for that disproportionate um, attention? I mean, I think as I said, um, one of the reasons, not the main one, is that COVID nineteen was sort of uh, a novel virus, and uh, people were very curious to know what is this virus, you know, and hearing that oh people are dying from it and there is no cure. And so it attracted a lot of, of, of attention. And also because of how um, various governments around the world responded to it. And the problem that I discovered um, is um, many African countries didn't sort of take a step back and ask themselves, okay, how do we, how do we sort of tackle this virus? That's if um, people just copied and pasted what was being done in yeah, exactly, say, exactly. say countries that you know could in a sense afford two or three weeks lockdown um, they did that for a country like Nigeria where many people you know are, able, are only able to feed through you know daily puzzling and, and you lock them down for two three weeks cash that is going to have a negative um, impact on, on the people. And it's as if these factors were not sort of taken into consideration. And so, again, I think another, another problem that I discovered was I, I spoke I spoke with someone early, early in the pandemic, uh, a lady working with NCDC, I think that's what it is. Um, she was based in Abuja that time. Um, and so she told me that one of the difficulties and challenges that she, that she discovered was that there were there were really no um, messages for people in their local dialects. Say most of, as you said, there was sort of a proliferation of, of, of information, but most of it was in English. Mm-hmm. And so going to the local communities, most people were not even understanding this message. So it was as if it was more noise to them, mm-hmm. and as because they were not understanding it, it was, it was pointless. And so it might seem as though, yeah, there was a lot of information quote unquote, out there, but for many people, it was not a useful information, which is why I think uh, it's, imp- it's very, very important in understanding science, science communication that it's not just putting information out there for people, but it's putting it in a way that people really understand. And so, as I said, it's bridging the gap. And so the question is, how do you bridge the gap? Is it through um, 
Is it by making the, the information simpler, mm-hmm. i.e. breaking it down? Is it by bringing it to the people in their own um, languages? Is it by, you know, showing people practical ways how to respond to things, you know, if you have to wash your hand and all that and all that and all that. I mean, there were so most of these images that were put out there, but they were not really helpful if you really understand, you know, what, what the virus was, was, was all about. And so it was not really people who, who understood it that were taking this information out. And so there are there are various factors and various things that should be that should be looked at. I, mean, I don't I don't blame people for you know the failures looking back because it was a new virus. But my personal opinion is if people had been more humble and been more open, then probably it would have been it would have been you know, different and maybe better for people. Yeah, um, I, I think you, you make, um, going back to the point you made about about um, the fact that Nigeria and majorly most African countries were not able to find a peculiar solution to the problem of COVID at the time. I remember that I, I at during the during the heat of the crisis itself, I think I wrote an article for I wrote an opinion for the late wire. Um, you know, trying to express this same concern that African societies cannot afford, you know, a full lockdown, social distancing, and all of that. And I think I, I wrote something like that for the least while, and it was published. But just going back to the question, I, uh, w- where I started again. I mean, we 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 COVID was COVID was a COVID was a major health emergency crisis that demanded a drastic and a radical. Um, change in the human behavior of the people, right? And we were told to mask, we were told to stand six meters apart. Some people had to quarantine for days, some for weeks. And um, I mean, the entire economy was shut down for, for, for weeks, if not for months in some, in, in, in some areas. And you want, to, you want to compare that to other health crises that we are suffering from, such as malaria. Malaria has been with us from since time immemorial and it's still killing a lot of people up till today and i wouldn't think that i wouldn't imagine that if we are to solve the problem if we want to solve the problem of malaria in nigeria we would require such a drastic um solution such as standing six meters apart and and you know masking and quarantining and and, and what have you and the, it begs the question then why haven't we why can't we divert that same energy we saw in covid uh, the same social media hysteria we saw during COVID to malaria to solve this problem of malaria because I mean it's it's a problem that could be solved right I mean it, all it takes is just um, it takes the efforts of the government and personal responsibilities on the part of the citizens so why 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 is it difficult why do you think it's it's um, it's 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 difficult for us to solve that problem to also channel that the same energy we used during COVID to solve the problem of malaria. And malaria is just like an example. There are other, you know, there are other diseases in that in that category. Well, there's a lot there. I mean, it's, let me just try to break it down a bit. I think for, for most of us, we, we tend to assume that, you know, once there is a problem, then the next thing is to call on the government to solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's, that should always, I think that that's one of the reasons why 
people suffering in a society. Um, you have a problem in a community and everyone blames the government for not fixing it. Now, people are even talking about, you know, government taking responsibility to, to raise children, you know, to pay for these people that we see a problem, the government should stop it. Now, I'm not saying the government doesn't have any responsibility in public health. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that at times you should take a step back. Okay, the question we have to ask again is with COVID, has it re- the government really solved it? Mm. I mean, now, you see the economic situations are all around the world. And for those who, 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 you know, were really thinking through what was going on during the COVID, this was expected. Because, you, I mean, then you can't lock down people who are healthy, that's another thing, for weeks and tell them not to walk, that the government will pay them. And then when you get out, you don't expect something to be different economically. So those things are related. And so when it comes to the issue of of malaria, now that's why I did ask, has the problem of COVID still been solved? A couple of days ago, I saw uh, a news report saying that you know there there, there could be an increase in, in in cases, COVID cases during um, the summer period, during the holidays. Why? Because people are going to be meeting and blah blah blah, and people indoors and you know a lot of things. Some people think oh COVID has been solved, and some people think no, it hasn't been solved. Now malaria is a different issue. Other diseases are different issues. That's why I would say what we should do is to treat these things, these diseases, case by case. The, the way COVID or Stafford might not be the same way malaria or type, but of course we can learn one or two things from, from it. But because these um, diseases are different, they are transmitted differently, um, the parts of the body that they attack are different symptoms they cause are different. Malaria is spread, you know, by mosquito, um, specifically female anopheles mosquito. And we know that areas where, you know, there is a high rate of poverty and you have dirty environments and all that and all that. And those environments create a breeding ground for this mosquito. And so the question is not or the solution is not masking. Masking is not going to stop mosquito question is how are we going to sort of create a cleaner environment how are we going to i mean there were days of the campaign of using bed nets and all that and all that we have to ask ourselves okay what is the problem what is the challenge that this is you know um, presents us with how is this spread we have to understand these things individually and that's why i said COVID-19, one of the reasons why people, why people panicked is because it was a virus that they hadn't, they never understood. It was a new one in a sense. Um, the coronavirus itself is not a new virus, but that specific one, COVID-19, was sort of a new one. And everyone panicked, hey, what should we do? Lockdown, this, that, and that. And everyone copied that. So I think we have to take each and every one of this um, diseases, viruses, whatever they are individually and ask ourselves, okay, how are they being spread? How do we respond based on um, what 
we have, which is why, as I said, it's important for debates to be had in the scientific community. When you shut down those debates, then in the end, it's the public that will suffer. Because rather than hearing the right information, all the, the public will hear is not. Mm. Yeah. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, you made a very interesting point. Um, and I was just thinking about it. It's, it appears that the solution to COVID was, you know, globally a government-centric solution. And this is what I mean. I mean, the solutions where we need to provide, um, we need to provide um, vaccines. That, that was the ultimate solution anyway. We need to provide vaccines for the people so that they can be humanized against, against the, the virus, right? But... And I, I'm, I'm just trying to understand why it, it appears to be difficult for us to solve the problem of malaria, just as it appears that we have been able to like um, significantly solve the problem of, of COVID in a sense. But COVID, um, malaria on the other hand, takes a lot of personal responsibility on the, on the side of the people. Because as long as we have environments that are not clean, there will always be malaria. Because they thrive that, that's that's the nature of, of um, the career of malaria. They thrive in an environment that in an unclean environment, stagnant water, you know, dirty environment generally. And that takes that takes more of we don't expect the government to clean our rooms for us. We don't expect the government to, to take care of our wastes, right? And that that, that it appears that um, the solution is more people centric. Like you have to take your personal responsibility. We have to see like a, 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 a you know a, um, how do I put this? We have to. We have to. What we have to see is uh, a positive attitude towards ensuring a clean environment. Actions taken by individuals in the community, right? And that's that's probably the reason why it's difficult because it's very very difficult to get the majority of people to do the right thing. Do Do you agree with that sentiment? Majority of people doing right. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to, if you want to solve the problem, do, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you you mean. I'm, I'm just um thinking of sort of where to where to direct that because I think people 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 will take personal responsibility, or most people will or should, um, when they see. When you understand the problem. Now, I, I I stayed in Lagos. I worked in Lagos for some some two years. And before uh, you japa, Lagos is really a dead. It's a, it's a very dirty. It's a very it's a very dirty city. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it even got to a point where I would see people throw things on the way. I walk up to them. I I always I will be almost screaming at them like, why would you do that? Exactly. Exactly. And a mad person, and you will see a, you know a, a drainage that is already filled with cans and bottles and all things, and so exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. and people keep adding to it, and that is that is where people live. And you ask yourself, what is going on now? That's I I, I don't think I, now I, I don't think the government is hundred percent same with that. I think if if you have a responsible government, you wouldn't you wouldn't have such kind of drainage. You wouldn't have people who are so irresponsible how they where they drop you know 
waste and all that. So you are are you saying that are you saying that the responsibility of the people largely depends on the responsibility of the government in power? But there are, there are things that you have to force people to do. That's my point. Mm. Uh, because of human nature, there are things you have to force people to do. That's one of the reasons why we have the government. Okay, there are there are things in public that people have they have to be made to do. Now, if if you have a, a government that is enforcing you know cleanliness and you are actually you are really enforcing it. And and people see that you're enforcing people will sit up or because it's as if everyone has become so calm there okay everyone's you know just it's like uh, it's a norm then it continues so i think partly yeah people there's a sense in which people have to take personal responsibility but i also think that there's a sense in which the government has to force people to do certain things just because you know people wouldn't do do those things otherwise yeah it's interesting um because that that is going to lead me to my next question where i think what we're talking about here can be simply you know subsumed into um say personal liberty of the people to do as they like and certain um health requirements right um so in in, in terms of health crisis as we saw during covid we were we had to forego some of our you know liberty in quote and unquote now uh we had to forego our rights our freedom of um, association to go wherever we want to go to um we had to forego our freedom of to personal liberty right um our right to personal liberty rather because you know wearing masks is obviously not convenient for anybody i don't see i've never heard of anyone who said i i enjoy wearing this mask i mean it's difficult but but we had to do it right just because of the situation on ground so i i just want to know your opinion as a science communicator um do you think we can is, is how can we bridge that uh, gap how do we square that circle between um our our freedom our personal freedom and um certain periods where the government may require us to do certain things uh that appears to infringe on our on our fundamental rights especially as as it as it as it pertains to health well, um, free, freedom is not sort of absolute in a sense that no one has absolute freedom to do anything you want to do and i think that's one of the reasons why again we have the government to to sort of put um a protection in a sense to prevent me from infringing on a person's rights so i don't know some people would say where my freedom stops is where another person stops that. I don't really agree with that. Okay. Um, line of thinking. I've never really understood but, it myself. <laughs> but the the idea of of freedom, I think, when people think of freedom and liberty, most times it's you know, I just want to do what I want to do. Yeah. But I don't think it is. I think I think true freedom exists. Um, when one is is living in the bounds of the law, in a sense, so I'm free to to live, you know, within, you know, that boundary, in a sense. For instance, I mean, in my in my room, um, I 
I'm free to do, there are many things I'm free to do in my room here that I'm not free to do outside. Okay, that doesn't mean that I'm not a free human being. It's just the law is different in my room than it is outside. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It does. And um, I, yeah. I, I just want to um, point out the fact that, take for example, um, someone who is being, in a sense, coerced to wear a mask because of um, a health emergency, right? Or someone who has been coerced to take a vaccine because of health emergency. That's, that's, uh, that's on the face of it, that's like an infringement on the person's right right but um you still want to talk about the the fact that it's for the public good right so i'm i'm, I'm just trying to understand is there is there a limitation to which the government can push this um uh, can shove this um public interest argument down the throat of people is there a point to which is there a limitation that's to right I, I, I was still going on with it with the question okay okay when you're when you're free within you know the bounds of the law, that's where the true freedom is. Uh, but the question is, the question now is, you know, what is the law and are those just laws? Are they you know good laws and the right laws? And so if 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 there are wicked laws in a sense, then I think the idea of freedom in that sense is different. It's as if you're being not just coerced, but you are being enslaved, mm. and so when when you have, for instance, um, the 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 law of vaccine vaccine mandates, you ask yourself, okay, now at least there are various questions you have to ask yourself. Are these vaccines safe? What is you know the data of its safety? Um, because you are injecting something into someone's body. In the end, it's that person that would get the consequences, not yeah. the government. Yeah. So that's uh, that's an interesting so, point. So now, yeah, that so you have to. It's not we are the government. Therefore, you have to take this vaccine. I. That is now sort of tyrannic around slavery as it will. Experimental, right? Yeah, experiments with yeah, yeah. But but the problem is many. That's that's the thing again. Many people were not allowed to question the the vaccines. So if you question it, then you conspiracy theories. Okay, this is where the issue of the debates come because they were they were real. There are real scientists. They are saying, okay, uh, I don't think people should be thinking taking this and all that and all that and all that. So it's. Because, because debates were not had in a sense, because there was no open dialogue, people were not sort of really free, people were being coerced. As I said, yeah, government can, government should coerce people to do certain things, but not everything. And personally, for the threat, for the, for the COVID vaccine, I, I personally don't think people should have been forced um, to take it, because people are literally injecting things into their body, and when they have questions, 
questions about it, then what you should be doing is answering those questions, speaking to people, trying to convince them, rather than shoving it down their throat and saying, if you don't take this, they will not allow you to live your life. Mm. But, but Manuel, no, don't you think... Not, okay, go on, go on, please. Go on, please. Sorry. No, go on. Yeah, because I I wanted I wanted to ask, don't you think uh, there there are two sides to this to this discussion? There is a sense in which you can ask the question, is it safe, right? But then there's another sense that there's there's another sense to it, and um, it's one thing for you to be safe, it's another thing for me to be willing to take something into my body, whether or not it is safe. And that brings me back to the question of you know personal responsibility, right? Because in the end, we're, we're, we're individuals, right? And the whole idea of rights comes from the fact that um, these rights are attached to me and they are not, they're not something you can sever away from me because they are my rights, okay? So in a, in a situation whereby there is a global uh, you know, pandemic and everybody's, some people, some people are dying and then we, are, we have been told to take a vaccine that is safe, apparently the vaccine is safe do you would you would you say that in that sense the government can actually coerce the general public every time they can hurry to to take to take that vaccine do you think that would be that would be right i think i've i've, prob- I've probably taken you away from your field now we're talking about rights now sorry about that i mean the, the question of rights is something everyone should exactly exactly Personally, I don't, I don't believe that the government gives anyone rights. Um, if if, if, if it is the government that gives rights, what says another government cannot take it away? Mm-hmm. So more, I think I've told you the government gives, so government take, give it, government take it, blessed be the name of government. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I personally believe that a right, in a sense, the fundamental human rights, the real rights, not the rights that people just um, create out of whole clothes, but rights that are real rights are God-given rights and the role of government is to protect those rights and so I don't believe that government gives rights again if government gives rights then what says another government cannot take cannot away take that right mm. so yeah that's as I said um, the, the issue of rights is, is something that um, a lot of people should should grapple with and try to to understand now specifically on the issue of um, vaccines, if they are safe. Um, historically, there have been times government has forced people to 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 take um, vaccines. I mean, this is not a direct force, but if you are traveling to certain countries, yeah, I mean, even now, I think the COVID vaccine, there's some countries you can go to without, you know, being vaccinated. Or yeah, yeah, vaccinated that's true. Or even vaccine, injecting yourself every second. But there are there are there are there are, there are um, periods where government has done that. And I, I wouldn't say absolutely that the government shouldn't. I, I think yeah, there are probably times where the government can can mandate that. But when people, my point is when people have legitimate questions, mm. say. I have objections to this. What you shouldn't be doing is forcing people. What you should be doing is trying to uh, speak to people, trying to convince them, trying to show them that this is safe, this is um, 
the best thing for you to do. I mean, when you go to a medical doctor, um, the doctor doesn't say, at some point, you must take this drug. The doctor tries to advise you and say, hey, if you're actually going, if you want to stay alive, then you have to take this. You understand? Yeah, so yeah, it's more yeah. the doctor is prescribing something to you. The doctor isn't forcing you, even for a surgical procedure. The doctor doesn't tie you and say, hey, lie on this um, platform, let me cut you and, you know, get into you and dissect and get whatever I need to get out and, no. The doctor tries to persuade you and speak to you and show you that. And again, you have to trust the doctor on the other hand. Um, you, I mean, when you have two doctors, one that has done, has carried out a particular procedure for 30, 20, 50 years, and the person has always been successful, and you have one that has just done it for a year or two, I mean, one has a track record. You probably go with the former, yeah. right? Exactly. Exactly, exactly. And so there is that, you know, conversation, as it were, or whatever it is, trying to persuade you. A doctor trying to persuade you, and he also seeing reasons why you shouldn't trust them. So that's that's how I see these things. I don't, I, I don't think um, they should primarily come from the you know, point of government trying to, to coerce you know, people. But I think, yeah, there are possibly periods where the government should. But I, I, I'm not personally convinced that COVID, I mean, look at the survival rate of COVID, as it said, 99 point something. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's another thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah thank you for that for that response. And um, as, as we're rounding off, I just have, like, say, two questions more. Um, I understand that you, you've been away from this part of the world, Nigeria. You've been in another part of the world. How would you access, comparatively, how would you access Nigeria's um, health sector generally? I, and I don't, need, I don't need facts. I just need your own personal you know, assessment of Nigeria's health sector when you compare it with where you are currently? Well, I'm not in a place where things are perfect. Not like things are perfect anywhere from. Yeah, things are not perfect anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, when you compare it to Nigeria, because it's, um, it's bigger, it's more diverse, and it's better. But I think with Nigeria, you have a, a lot of the problems centered around, you know, Facilities and you have the number of or the ratio of doctors to patients and you know the funding and things like that. And there was a news I, I I came across a couple of days ago. I don't know if it's one of the you know, the teaching hospitals in Lagos um, made a statement that they would start charging patients a thousand naira daily for electricity. And, and you wonder, yeah, yeah. Going I think it was in Ibado, Ibado, actually. Is Ibado okay? Uh, I think you have, and, and you, you see a lot of Nigerian doctors who are leaving the country to go out to you know, other countries, yeah, a, a, a massive, a massive amount of brain drain. That's correct, that's true. I should have pointed yeah, that so, out. I mean, uh, if we start talking about the problem with Nigeria, I don't think we can, we're going to leave it because it's. <laughs> it's all related. I mean, the, the problem bedeviling the health sector is almost the same thing with the education sector. I mean, it's just, it's a same, nothing is really working. So, I don't know. It's, as I said, it's not, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to, to focus on the problem. The problem is there, everyone sees the problem. 
But the question is, I mean, how how do we change things? How how do we make things? Yeah, and and th that leads me to my final question, actually. Um, I mean, the, the, the problems are, they are numerous and they are also self-evident in terms of the fact that we all can see the problems around us. All you just need to do is go out there and then you, you begin to see the problem. So, um, what, in terms of the health sector now, what, what, are, what are some of the um, policies and actionable solutions that you, you, you think we can be... Nigerian government can deploy to actually solve um, the problem of health, health sector in Nigeria. What, what are what are some of those solutions? What are some of those practical solutions you think we can deploy? Even not just as a government, even as the people. Do you think there are certain things that the government and the people can do to make things better in terms of um, you know a better and more functional health sector? Is the government has to equip the hospitals. They have to um, fund the hospitals. The government has to pay their doctors. Well, when you have a nation where doctors are threatening strikes, you don't like that. Mm. So I think a lot of things is that the emergency where that the government puts into those things is it's just lacking. And you see it with our leaders travel out to treat themselves because they don't even it's, trust it's, it's, it's an unfortunate narrative it's very unfortunate yeah so it's like the, the president sneezes and the next thing is he takes the presidential jet and travels to UK to um, to treat himself so it's as I said I, we have to start with the basic things they have to fund the hospitals they have to pay the doctors work and they have to build good hospitals. Yeah. And when I see the state of our hospitals, it's, it's sad. It's horrible. It's not somewhere that you want to be. So, I mean, if you're talking about population increase, that's one thing. Or oh, the resources they wouldn't be, of course. And that's why uh, the, the issue of the ratio of the doctor to the patients, you, you walk into a hospital, you find about. 300 um, patients waiting for one, waiting to see one doctor or something. Mm. That's what we're exaggerating. You see, you know, you see other things because there are few doctors there and there are lots of patients and many of them come from, you know, far distance because where they are, where they are, they do not have doctors in, the, in those places. So it's, it's just, there are lots of things that really need to be addressed when it comes to um, to the public health sector in Nigeria. Oh, all right, all right. Thank, thank you for that. It's, it's, it's not just the um, the population increase, but I think the resources are not even there. If, if, if the resources were there, then okay, maybe we could, we could ask ourselves how do we sort of expanded resources but at the basic level the resources are not there doctors are most of them are even trying their best to make do for them which is very challenging all right, so Manuel, thank you very much for um, doing this with me for having this conversation and thank you for giving your um, 
expert opinion i don't think you like that word but i'll use it anyway your expert opinion on science communication and health generally so i hope that we will probably further this conversation uh in some other time maybe another topic entirely but i'd like to have you back on the show um subsequently so thank you yeah thank you very much All right, so that's it for this episode of the show. I want to thank everyone who took our time to listen. And if you enjoy the show and you would like to stay informed when next another episode is released, a good way to do that is to follow our Twitter page. That is at a podcast show one at a podcast show one. That way you can be assured that when next episode is released, you will be one of the first persons to listen. So that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I really very much appreciate it. And until when next I come your way, don't you forget, this is the truth of the matter show. Sure.